Today's scripture reading is Mark 4, verses 1 through 20. Again, he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, Listen, behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root in it, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into the good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding 30-fold and 60-fold and a 100-fold. And he said, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when he was alone, those around him with the 12 asked him about the parables. And he said to them, to you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God, but for those outside, everything is in parables so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. And he said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word, and these are the ones along the path where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan immediately comes and takes away the word that is sown to them. And these are the ones sown on rocky ground, the ones who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with joy. And they have no root in themselves, but endure it for a while. Then with tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately they will fall away. And others are the ones sown among thorns. And they are those who hear the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke the word and it proves unfruitful. But those that were sown on the good soil are the ones who hear the word and accept it and bear fruit and 30-fold and 60-fold and 100-fold. This has been the word of the Lord. Thank you, Hannah. And for all the children who are four and under, they're going to follow Miss Hannah. Uh, she's going to take you to the back uh, for nursery. And I'll do a quick prayer for you guys as well here. <laughs> Thank you, God, for these little ones. Please bless their time, help them to love each other well and to see uh, what it is that we believe and that we'd be able to pass it on down to them. Uh, to your name we pray, amen. Well, good afternoon. Uh, as, as Aaron said, my name is Kent. I'm one of the members here at Christ Community Church. I'll be preaching this morning from that passage in Mark 4. So if you're not already there, I'd invite you to turn to Mark 4 uh, with us as we'll spend some time uh, looking through that, that story. Let's pray again as well before we uh, enter into this. Father, as we look at this story, we ask that we would be able to see uh, just the depth of your word and ultimately uh, the depth of who you are. We know that we will never be able to fully comprehend uh, who you are, but help us to understand uh, better who you are and what you would have for us to do as your people. Uh, we ask that we do it to your glory. It's your name we pray. Amen. So uh, actually, my 
I don't work for the church here. My day job, I work as a, a gate agent at the airport. And uh, I love my job. I had a lot of fun. Some, some great stories I'd be happy to share with any of you. Uh, but as I'm, as I'm helping board flights, I'm making a lot of announcements. We have a boarding process. Several times, I wonder to myself, is anyone listening? And the truth of it is, half the people have their headphones in, so they don't hear anything I'm saying. And the loudspeaker isn't very good, so there's just a lot of people who don't hear anything. There's other people who hear what I say, but they don't understand that what I'm saying is part of a process and it's strategic and that they should follow what I'm saying. So they just crowd and rush the door. There's people who will hear what I say, they will understand what I'm saying, but they get so nervous that they won't get to fit their bag in the overhead bin <laughs> that they too rush the door and crowd the gate area. But then there are a few chosen people, they hear what I say, they understand what I'm saying, and they actually do what I'm saying. And they will even go above and beyond, help a family with little children, help an elderly person who's having trouble with their bags. And those are the people who do what they're supposed to be doing. Now in today's text, we see a parable that's taught by Jesus, and we're confronted with the reality that Jesus, as he's preaching to these large crowds, there's a lot of people who just don't hear what he's saying. It's not that he has trouble projecting his voice, it's just they just don't hear there are people who hear him, but there are people who, despite hearing him, they just don't understand the weight of what his message is holding. There's people who hear and understand, but for a many number of reasons, the things going on in their lives, the worries that they have, they just can't fully commit to following him. But then, as we'll see, as Jesus taught here, there are people who hear, understand, and do what he asks of them. Now, for many reasons, I think, as Aaron mentioned, this is a very well-known parable. Whether you have heard this a hundred times growing up in the church or whether this is the first time uh, you're hearing it, I think this is a unique opportunity as we enter in further into the Gospel of Mark, we're going to be hearing a lot of parables. So I just thought I would pause for a second and help us navigate through this parable today and hopefully will uh, help us in the coming weeks. But as we look at parables, it's important for us to know that parables that Jesus taught, they're by design meant to have multiple meanings, multiple layers to them. Uh, but first and foremost, Jesus used these parables to expose sin. He used them to teach a specific moral or, or sin issue. So we have to make sure that as we come to parables, we don't just assume, because we're here sitting in church, that when we hear a parable read, that we're the good guys. We don't just automatically assume that we're the best possible scenario of what the good example is in the parable. The point of parables, if we come to them with that attitude, we're missing the whole point of parables because parables are meant to be taken as a time of self-evaluation. It's not a time to self-validate whatever we think we're doing that's already right. It's a time, no matter where we are in our lives, to think critically, to evaluate, and to ponder at the words of Jesus. And to go alongside with that mentality, we also have to be willing to accept a little bit of mystery. This is a good life lesson in general, but I think especially as we come into these parables, we have to embrace a little bit of mystery. What, do I, what I mean by that is that our goal for understanding this parable is not to come away with a three-point process of how to get saved. That's not what Jesus is getting at in teaching these parables. 
while I am going to point out this kind of progression of hearing, understanding, and doing, that's not the end-all, be-all of this story. See, instead, we use what we get from that as an aid to help us wrestle rightly to understand, hopefully, a little bit better of what it means to follow Jesus in this complex and sinful world. So to set the stage for our text, it's helpful to know uh, there's a lot of metaphors. There's a sower or a farmer who's throwing seeds. That's, that sower is supposed to be a metaphor for God and who God uses to proclaim his word. And then there's the seed which he's throwing into the ground. That's meant to symbolize God's word. And there's soil representing people who come into contact with God's word. So as we come to our text, as we look at verses 1 to 2, the stage is set. Jesus has been preaching more in public. Larger crowds have been coming, both because of his authority and his teaching and because of his miracles that he's been performing. So he decides to camp out for the day. He gets on a boat, and he's going to spend a lot of time teaching. And as we come to verse 3, I think it's very fitting that he proclaims, listen. So let's listen as we work together through this parable this afternoon. So the first thing that we come into in this story is the sower who sowed seed, sows seeds along the path. Uh, you'll see down further in verse 15 that this is meant to symbolize that when people hear God's word, Satan immediately comes and takes the word that is sown in them. In essence, these people who are along the path, they have ears to hear. It says that they hear the word, but immediately Immediately, it's taken away by Satan. So the word that's given to them is to no avail because it just doesn't stay with them. And I think the fact that this happens, that God allows this to happen, is just a testament to how pervasive evil and sin is in the world. See, God's word can be preached so clearly. It can be exemplified. You can do some of the best things imaginable, but they could be to no avail. Or so it may seem. The forces of Satan are real and they are trying to work against it. And that's just the reality of the world we live in. But I think, while this could be something to be taken as a negative, I think it actually says something rather profound and positive about the God of the Bible. Because God allows his word to be snatched up by Satan, as he said. This is something particularly hard to appreciate, I think, in our Western culture. I know I struggle with this very much value effectiveness and efficiency that's very important to us, I think, in our culture. But there is something ultimately, I think, inherent in God in the way that he embraces weakness uh, in the way that things are operated. You see, while still in total control, God containing all the power and authority in heavens and in earth, he allows himself in this apparent scene to be thwarted by Satan. Or so it seems at first glance, right? It's snatched away immediately. God is the one sowing the seed. It's taken right away by Satan. But with God, there are no surprises. We know that there is always a greater plan that is at play. And when failure happens in this story, when failure happens in our own gospel efforts, in our ministry, in our evangelism, or even just when failures happen in general in life, it can seem that that's what it is. It's just a failure. But I think God is clear through this story, through all of Scripture, that 
everything matters. Even the things that fail, those things matter. Because we have this promise that one day everything will be redeemed. See, when God's word seems to come back void, when it seems to come back empty, when it seems to fade or wither, are we able to remember that in the grand scheme of things, God's word does remain forever? See, because of what Jesus exemplified for us on the cross, we can have that hope that even when things seem to be failing, that God is still in control. Because it seemed to appear that Jesus failed when he went to the cross from a first glance. Even to those who were following him, it seemed like a failure. It seemed like things were over. But when you step back and look at the grand scheme of things, when we look at the plan that God had through Christ, it was that his weakness displayed on the cross was actually the ultimate strength. See, through the giving up of his power, he actually exerted his power over all things. So we can't give up hope when it seems that God's word is being rejected or ignored. Okay, well, how about we look at the seed that's sown on the rocky ground? That's, uh, we can look at verse 16. This symbolizes people who hear God's word, and they immediately receive it. And they receive it with joy, it says. I think it's interesting that rather than immediately be taken away, it says that it's immediately received with joy. It's off to a better start. I would think that we're making progress at least here. It looks good. But sadly, people who are rocky soil, they don't fully understand God's word. We've got a small section of dirt in our backyard that we've never planted anything in it. As we were kind of getting ready for the spring, I was eager to try and get it ready to plant. And it's been raining a lot, so it looks muddy. It looks like, oh, this could be good. As soon as we've had a dry day, I've realized this is very rocky soil. I'm no gardening expert, but just by looking at it, pretty sure nothing's going to grow in it. <laughs> I don't think any amount of water or any amount of fertilizer or just giving it all the attention and care in the world is going to allow that soil to produce any good fruit. So there needs to be a change in the composition of the soil if anything is actually ever going to be grown in it, which I will keep you posted. Likewise, if we don't fully understand the cost of embracing God's word, we're going to be like that rocky soil. So we will not be able to produce anything that will actually survive. Our faith in God needs to be firmly rooted we can't have deep roots if we don't fully understand what it means to be part of God's kingdom. Our faith is not meant to be shallow. It's not meant to be isolated. Those are some of the symptoms of a rocky soil. There need to be deep roots in his word. There need to be deep roots in, his, in the fellowship of the saints, in community. It means that we're part of something greater than ourselves and that our hope is in something eternal, that the scope we have even in the immediate things, our scope is eternal because life's going to be hard. There's going to be a lot of failures. There's going to be a lot of things that are difficult to take. But as we keep our eyes fixed on Christ in his eternal seat on the right hand of the Father, that will get us through the moments of trials. and We won't throw it all away because it seems too hard. Let's look now at the seed that's sown among the thorns. In verse 18, Jesus said that his word is sown among the thorns. 
But the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in, and they choke the word, and it proves unfruitful. This scenario, I think, has hit me especially close to home. I think we're entering into this metaphor, I know it's something that I struggle with, and I think is probably more common in our culture uh, here in America today. And I think especially in the church, if we're being honest, we live in this culture of comfort and convenience. We're probably most susceptible to being choked by thorns. See, the soil among the thorns represents people who not only hear God's word, but they also understand it. They can understand it pretty well. But their shortcoming lies within their unwillingness to go and do what the word actually says. Look at me at what it says here. It says, the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches. I mean, that alone, that's, that's enough to consume the minds of even the wisest people. I mean, who are we to think that we can avoid those two temptations alone this week, this pay period, this year, let alone our entire lives? The scope is big here. I think we're naive to think that if by our own conviction, our own will, our own, like, go get them, like, we're going to be able to avoid falling into the traps of the world. That's not something we can do on our own. And if that's not enough, look at the way that Jesus describes it. Beyond those two specific temptations, he says, and desires for other things. <laughs> like, this is a total, like, onslaught of temptation. And we're supposed to compete with that? We're supposed to overcome that by our own, own capacity? Well, let me ask you this. How in the world do we think that we can expect to produce fruit with thorns and weeds everywhere? If you are into gardening, which I assume some of you are, it's about time to plant seeds. Maybe you already did. There's a whole lot of weeds you've got to get out of the ground before you can start planting. <laughs> and even when you do, they don't stop coming back. I think what's interesting to see this uh, parable is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 8, he records an additional thing that Jesus said in this parable. He adds that the people, the people who are in the soil among thorns category says that they produce fruit, and he says that their fruit doesn't mature. This was especially kind of uh, something that I had to take a second look at, and I think it can be frightening, is that some people who hear the Word of God and understand the Word of God, they can show signs of fruit. This is something I found myself praying this week for myself, for all of you, in that thinking about this idea, we really need God to remove the thorns from our life. Because it's only through his Holy Spirit working in our lives, it's only through his grace that we can have any hope of overcoming the temptations and the desires that this world offer. Because how dangerous is it, if we think about it personally, collectively, it's extremely dangerous for us to see a little bit of fruit and to think that we're being successful, to think that we're doing God's will. Because it says that there will be some fruit. But that's not what God calls us to, just to have some fruit, just to have a little bit of fruit. What we need, we need some good soil. So look at verse 20 with me. We see that the word is sown in good soil. 
It's not just seeing a little bit of fruit. But it produces 30, 60, 100 fold. See, this is the result of hearing, understanding, and doing God's word. There is an abundance of fruit that is shown. And for that to take place, there's a lot of things that need to happen. But at its core, in order for that to take place, it starts with faith in Jesus. And it starts with continually hearing his word, continually working through the things, uh, the things of life together, as I mentioned earlier, rooted in his word, together sharpening each other as a community of believers. <clears throat> it's our duty to hold each other accountable, to keep doing God's word, to not just hear it, to not just understand it, but to also do it together. But as we do it, we do it with fear and trembling. And I say fear and trembling because we know that being good soil is not something we can achieve on our own. We're all incapable of growing fruit through our heart's condition. Jesus is very clear all throughout the Gospels, and specifically in this text, that it's God who changes our hearts. So let me put it this way. We can't save ourselves. Why can't we save ourselves? I'm glad you asked. Let's read verses 10 to 13. If you look starting in verse 10, it says, And he was alone, that being Jesus, and those around him with the twelve asked him about the parables. And he said to them, To you has been given the secret of the kingdom of God. But for those outside, everything is in parables, so that they may indeed see, but not perceive, and may indeed hear, but not understand, lest they should turn and be forgiven. He said to them, do you not understand this parable? How then will you be able to understand all the parables? Here we see that Jesus' closest disciples didn't understand what he was teaching. Jesus goes on and explains it for them, as we see in this text. But what's kind of confusing, troubling, it's hard to put an exact word on it. Why, but why does Jesus explain it to them? And then as he says, not explain it to others. Why does he only choose to reveal these things to him? He says he reveals the secret of the kingdom of God just to them and to his followers. This raises some perplexing questions, and I think maybe it's something that makes you flinch a little bit, makes you squirm in your seat when Jesus says, lest they should turn and be forgiven. How could a loving God who's in full authority and full capacity over his creation, how could one who is fully loving not give everyone a chance to understand him or to understand his word? It's not an easy answer. I don't expect that we'll come to an easy answer today. It's part of what we're wrestling through, is that it takes a lot of work. And as you see in verse 12, Jesus decides to quote the prophet Isaiah help explain this idea. Since Jesus takes us there, I think we should go there. So if you're flipping your Bibles to Isaiah chapter 6, Isaiah is the first of the major prophets, right before Jeremiah, right after Song of Solomon. Isaiah 6, I think it'll be helpful if we look at this. This is what Jesus quoted. You'll notice in your Bible a little indentation there. Jesus quoted an excerpt from uh, this passage. And Isaiah 6 is a rather famous, rather well-known scene. It's a scene in the throne room of heaven where Isaiah is being commissioned. He's being chosen by God to go out and be a messenger for God, to God's people. 
So here it is, Isaiah has said, says, here I am, send me. So Isaiah volunteers, God chose him, and he says, I'm going to go. I'm going to go proclaim God's message. And then God tells him what he's supposed to say. And that's what Jesus quotes. So look with me in Isaiah chapter 6, starting uh, in verse 9, where God tells Isaiah, he says, go and say to this people, he says, keep on hearing, but do not understand Keep on seeing, but do not perceive. Make the heart of this people dull, and their ears heavy, and blind their eyes, lest they see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their hearts, and turn and be healed. God chooses Isaiah to be his messenger. He chooses him so that he can go tell people that they aren't going to understand him, pretty depressing job description. It's a pretty grim outlook. It doesn't seem like a lot of hope ahead. Actually, let's keep reading, because before it gets better, it gets actually a lot worse. Isaiah says, how long, O Lord? How long am I supposed to tell them that they're not going to understand? This is what God says. It says, until cities lie waste without inhabitant, and houses without people, and the land is a desolate waste, and the Lord removes people far away, and the forsaken places are many in the midst of the land. And though a tenth remain in it, it will be burned again, like a terebinth or an oak, whose stumps remain when it is felled. The holy seed is its stump. Things got even more depressing, even more grim. We see some pretty massive levels of judgment and destruction. Cities lying in waste, desolate lands, forests completely burned. Those images go to show just how severely God treats sin. That's what that's meant to convey, that God takes sin so seriously. And while it is a very grim picture, while it is a very strong picture of destruction. We got to make sure that we don't miss this little flicker of hope. This little image that God gives Isaiah that he points him to. He says, basically everything's going to be gone, right? Cities, forests, towns and homes, everything's going to be destroyed. But he assures him that one stump will remain. Like a single stump that is left after an entire forest is burned over. God always has a remnant. He always has a plan. Despite the massive levels of death and destruction, God has a plan and he is faithful and has shown willing to complete it. So even though God's word gets snatched up by Satan, even though his word gets rejected by people, because of the trials going on in their life. Even, those God, even though God's word is ignored because people care too much about what's going on in the world, God's never caught off guard. God always preserves his people, and more importantly, God preserves us, preserves his people through Christ and through what he did on the cross. Because just as in death, as in his death, our Lord Jesus Christ defeated death. 
he showed us that he can take the seemingly impossible and turn it into something greater than we can ever imagine. And he does it for his glory. So I'll leave you with this. Take your headphones off. Hear what God is saying to you. As his church, let's spend our time and energy trying to understand what his word means in fear and trembling through the Holy Spirit. Let's throw away the sin that can so easily entangle us, the things that can keep us from becoming unfruitful as his people. And let's ask God that he might allow us to be good soil, that we'd be ready to hear, ready to understand, and ready to do. Would you pray with me? God, it's not a little thing. It's not something that should be taken lightly when we consider following Jesus. We ask that you would make it known more clearly to all of us today that it is worth it is worth the wait. It is worth any difficulties and trials that might come. That when we follow Jesus, we know that there is an eternal plan, that there is eternal redemption, that all that is not well will be made well. All things that are broken, that have been destroyed, will be made new through the resurrection power of Christ. It's in that name together we pray. Amen. Thank you, Kent. We're going to, um, I'm going to lead you now in a time of response to God's word as we've heard from his word. Uh, what impacted me particularly from hearing this is what Kent said plagues our current culture and generation, the thorns, cares of the world, deceitfulness of riches, and desire for other things. I also was quite helped by the thought that we don't need to strive for the fruit. We need to be regenerated soil. We need to be the type of soil that when God has planted his word in us, that we, he will produce the fruit. So what creates good soil in our hearts? And we're going to take the Lord's Supper together for those of you who have believed on Christ during this song. And this opportunity as we sing together and as we take the Lord's Supper um, we'll have two verses before we take the Lord's Supper. And here's what it's an opportunity for. It's an opportunity for us to repent of wrong values, where we put the desires of, for other things, whatever it is, above God's word and above following him and above Christ. I don't know where that is for you. I know where the Lord spoke to, it, to me about it. So take some time for yourself, and let's do this together. Um, this is a call to right values, and for that, it's a call to repentance of wrong values and then an action that we would do according to what God is telling us today. What makes the body of Christ is that we hear his word and we respond. It is that simple. This is what makes the church, that we who have heard his word respond with gladness and obedience and repentance. Okay, and none of us are those, you might have heard the sermon and think, man, I am, uh, I am of all men most wretched, right? Um, Isaiah, when he spoke to these people, he was speaking to a people who had been for generations and decades rejecting his word, rejecting his word. Let's let the Lord 
continue to break up the hard soil of our hearts each time we hear his word by repenting and responding to him. So we're going to stay seated during the first two um, verses of the song, Ancient Words. And during these two, two verses, at any time in them, if you've believed on Christ and you've received his body and blood, his body broken for you and his blood poured out for you, um, I want you to go to the back if you want with us and, and uh, pick up a um, the bread and the wine. You can dip the bread in the wine or you can take the gluten-free options in the little cups, which are on both sides, and then come back to your seat. Use this as a time of repentance um, as we sing together. You can sing or you can stay silent and pray as you respond to God according to his word. <laughs> 